Good morning, Murray Hill. We're glad you're here with us in person. We're glad you're here with us online. I assure you where you are online is more comfortable than where we are here because the air conditioner is not working yet again. But that's all right. We're going to worship God together. We're going to have a good day in the Lord. Stand as we sing.
seated if you are here in the building. Thanks so much for joining us online. If you're joining us online and joining us in the building, like uh, Gary told you, it's uh, a little warm, a little toasty uh, in here without air conditioner, um, but you guys all look wonderful with your fans. So <laughs> thanks so much uh, for being here this morning. I want to let you know about a couple things uh, going on. Uh, the first is that at 2 o'clock today, we are going to be up at Upson Elementary uh, praying 
there for the school, for the faculty and staff, for the teachers, for our neighborhood uh, as we get ready to kick off the school year coming up here on Tuesday. Uh, we also have our regular activities that are going on on Wednesday. Uh, we do have both an online option and a face-to-face -face option for Wednesday night uh, for a Bible study. Uh, if you want to participate with us in that way, uh, still have small groups meeting online. So if you want more information about that, um, feel free to shoot me an email or to email the church. Uh, and we can get you that information. Giving online, still an option. Uh, you can go through uh, and text to give. Uh, you can give through just your uh, regular Murray Hill account. Um, through the website, uh, we've got the baskets as you enter and exit as well. So I want to make uh, that opportunity available to you, uh, both online and in the building, uh, whatever way is easiest for you. So uh, like I mentioned uh, a minute ago, um, kids are coming back on Tuesday. Um, adults are coming back uh, on Tuesday. And... I have an opportunity to open a school for the first time on Tuesday, and I am not someone who necessarily uh, has ever struggled with anxiety uh, or worry. Um, that is different. That is different the last two weeks. Um, whole new set of responsibilities so um, I have been uh, in the scriptures and uh, singing and praying um, and I just want to share uh, with you something <laughs> if I can get through it be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and I've been reading that and speaking that and praying that. And I spent some time this week just kind of looking for verses about anxiety and about pressure and about worry. And there's lots of them out there, but not all of them with uh, the correct context. And so I, I felt kind of ridiculous uh, uh, reading verses, you know, that, that Paul wrote uh, to individuals who maybe would wake up uh, and be dragged and killed because of their faith. And, and my anxiousness and, and my worry, you know, is, is about uh, a school building. And, and I felt this was, was the best application of that. And, and I, you know, did some reading around it. And, and verse 5, the one that precedes that says... Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And the little commentary that comes with that, with verse 5, 
says we are to be gentle. To be gentle means to be reasonable, fair-minded, and charitable to those outside the church, not just to our fellow believers. This means that as followers of Jesus, we are not to seek revenge against those who treat us unfairly, nor are we to be overly vocal about our personal rights. And I read that and I was like, wow, that's, that's applicable to, to what the church is going through today. And uh, Aaron, Aaron got me this Bible uh, when we got married in 04 and I went back and it was, it was printed in 1991. And of course, Paul's writings thousands of years before. So I just want to encourage you. If you're someone who, who is a follower of Christ, that you be gentle with those in the faith and those outside the faith. We have an opportunity to reflect the love of Christ in our words and in our actions. And not only an opportunity, but a responsibility. So I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we'll continue singing together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the guidance that it provides, for the foundation that it provides, for the reassurance that you are who you say you are. You do what you say that you do. And that when things are crazy and that we, we don't know what to do, we don't know where to go, we don't know what to say, you're the answer to all of that. And so I ask this morning as we continue to worship together that you open our heart open our ears and speak to us individually it's in your son's name we pray amen
sense the struggle and as I sat there listening to him I thought about how many people in this place how many people that are watching online are facing similar struggles similar anxiety similar doubt similar fear we all do yet we have the promise that God is ever-present, and sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. So this morning, if you're experiencing fear, if you're experiencing doubt, if circumstances aren't what you would like them to be, I would encourage you to stop focusing on your circumstances and look into the eyes of Jesus, look into the face of our Father, because there's no one greater. Let's sing together about the greatness of our God.
this, overwhelmed by your majesty, your love, your awesomeness. And Father, we thank you that in difficult times we can run to you. We thank you that in good times we can run to you. And Father, I want to pray for this time. I pray that it would be everything that you want it to be. Uh, I pray that your spirit would go before me and before us and that your spirit would show up at every seat in the room and those watching and today would be transformational for all of us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well, I was hoping to put this off for a couple of weeks. Um, we have an air conditioner problem, all right? If you didn't know, we got it fixed and we have spent in the last 18 months an inordinately large amount of money on this air conditioner. So it's time to replace it. Um, and so uh, knowing that, um, that's tens of thousands of dollars. Okay, just tell you up front. But we don't have a money problem, we just need you to give it to us. Okay? <laughs> so, um, you know, if somebody wants to do it in one check, we'll take it however you want to do it. Uh, we're, we're getting bids, process of getting bids, and so hopefully in the next week or so, we will give you definite numbers. But uh, that's, that's where we are and that's what we're doing. So you be prayerfully considering your part in that and uh, let's get this thing done because it gets hot in here when it's not working, all right? So uh, we are continuing our journey through Ezekiel, and we talked last week about his call, that, that God showed up in this big dramatic way and called him to something that was very difficult, it's so difficult, in fact, that he mourned for seven days. And I told you last week that as we go through Ezekiel's story, you're going to be incredibly grateful that you're not Ezekiel. And, uh, and so that's going to start today. But so just as a little background uh, to keep in mind, uh, the Babylonians had come and they had taken the leaders of Israel back to Babylon and they had been held captive. And uh, it's believed Ezekiel was one of those. And so today's story we pick up, he is in Babylon and he is telling those who have been taken captive what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And God has called him to do it in a very dramatic way. Right, so historically what we know, the uh, Jerusalem fell in 786, no, I'm sorry, 586 BC. So this would have been in the five mid 590s BC. Uh, and so he is letting them know this is what's coming. It's going to be wiped out. It's going to be uh, destroyed, which would have been a very weird message for them to hear, which we'll explain. So that you can understand how bizarre uh, what Ezekiel was called to do, I'm going to reenact it for you as best I can. Now, that you'll understand uh, when I'm done, I may need help getting up. We'll see. Uh, but he was called to a really bizarre thing. So give me a minute to set up my props here. All right. So we are in Ezekiel chapter four. And uh, basically, I'm going to read through the story and kind of show you what he did so that you can understand how bizarre it was. Right? Are we ready? All right. Verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 4. It's page 828 if you're using the Pew Bible. Now, son of man, take a block of clay, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Now, this is not a block of clay. It's a fake rock. 
right? But I want you to imagine with me it's a big block of clay. It would have looked like a big brick. Um, and, and so he, what he did, and I assume he was a good artist because people would have known that he was drawing Jerusalem. So he drew Jerusalem on the rock and he took it downtown Babylon and he set it there. Okay? Not a big deal so far. The second thing then that he's asked to do, verse 4, my pages keep turning. Verse 2, then lay siege to it, erect siege works against it, build a ramp up to it, set up camps uh, against it, and put battering rams around it. Now one thing that's, if you are interested in warfare history, um, Ezekiel describes exactly what would happen to cities in that day and time. So, as I was reading this and I was thinking through it, I thought back to the days when I was a kid and I had little army men. I had a set of green ones and a set of gray ones and they always fought each other, right? I'd set them up in my room. The tennis balls were hand grenades and pillows were bombs, right? And uh, the bombs made the war not last very long though. So. Anyway, this is just the stuff I could find. So what he did was, is he built this thing out in the middle of the city. He built ramps. I'll put it on this side. These are not ramps, but these are the best I could do. All right? And so here's what would happen is, it's a sword just for fun. All right? And so what would happen is, is that the, the armies would, would surround a city. And basically the, the goal was to starve them out. All right, and so over time, they would then start to build ramps so they could breach the wall, and they battery rams to break down the gates, and the people inside would fight it off as long as they could. But the Babylonian army was humongous, so there was no hope. So what we know is, is that in 588, the Babylonians surrounded Jerusalem, and they starved them out, basically, as we'll see here in more detail in a minute. And then in 586, they breached the wall and wiped out the city. So Ezekiel was letting the people know this is what's coming to Jerusalem. Now here's what we need to understand is that the Israelites that would have seen this would have immediately thought Ezekiel was out of his mind. Because Jerusalem is God's holy city. We're his chosen people. He would never let his city fall. He would never let the temple be destroyed because that's his house. It would never happen that way. And so they thought Ezekiel was out of his mind. Okay, so he, he builds this up, and so far, what Ezekiel's been called to do, it's not so bad, right? You go and play army and play war in front of people, and they might think you're a little strange and be upset about it, but not a big deal. However, the story goes on. Take an iron pan, <laughs> which I happen to have. Take an iron pan, place it, um, I'm sorry, place it as an iron wall between you and the city and turn your face towards it. It will be under siege and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the people of Israel. Now it really starts to get personal. He would take a metal pan, he would stick it between the, the model that he had made and he would cover his eyes so he could not see Jerusalem. And he was telling the people that, that God is not looking on you anymore. God's turned his back on you because you turned your back on him. So he says, and then here's, here's the other part is, he says, with this position, then make the siege happen. 
And so he's going with his hands. He's showing how they build everything. And what he was saying was, is God is going to use this foreign army to conquer Jerusalem. Is the air conditioner on? Oh, okay. It's like, it feels pretty good in here now. All right. So um, we're still raising money, though. Right? All right. So the, the, people, the people would have heard Ezekiel say, all right, so not only has God not, not paying attention to us, he's bringing an army to destroy us. And as God's chosen people, they would have said, no, that's crazy. God would never destroy his chosen city and his chosen people this way. But we know that's exactly what happened in 586. All right, so the people are thinking that he's really bizarre, but this is still the easy part of the story because now it's about to get really strange. So imagine again, downtown Babylon, he has this whole model that he's built, he has created this siege, and so he says, then lie on your left side and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days, you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. I want you to lay down, and this is how it would have been. So the scholars really think that he would have had Jerusalem behind him, and he would have been on the ground this way. And they believe that he was, and I don't know enough Hebrew to explain this to you, but they believe he would have been facing north, right? Because north was the northern kingdom of, of Israel. And it's interesting when you go back in the history as the kingdom split, it happened right after Solomon's son took over. And the northern tribes, they separated and created their, their own country. And so they separated themselves completely. And so... Ezekiel is called to lay on his side 390 days. Process that with me. That's 13 months. 390 days. Now there's debate about whether it was sunrise to sunset or it was the full 24-hour period. I'm not going to get on to that. Either way, it would have stunk. Right? And so here he is laying on his side. And what's interesting in this, this point is he's not saying anything. He's just laying there. And the people would have, you know, Johnny, stay away from the strange man, right? I know he's dressed like a priest, but stay away from the strange man. And he just lays there for 390 days. But see, they had rejected God. And so what the, what the northern kingdom of Israel did is almost immediately when they became their own country, they stopped worshiping the one true God. And they worshiped foreign gods. And they set up altars and they set up high places to these gods where you get the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal during that time period. And they completely turned their back and they were not ashamed of the fact that they had turned their back on Yahweh. And so they were, they were conquered 150 years earlier. But he said, for 390 years, they've sinned against me. And right now you're going to represent that sin. Okay, so if that's not bad enough then, it goes on, after you finish this, lie down again, this time on your right side. So what Ezekiel would have done is he would have turned over and been facing the south and facing Jerusalem. So I'm not going to do that because that messes up your ability to see me. 
So I want you to pretend like I just rolled over. Man, this would have been easier when I was 25. All right. So after you finish this, lie down again, this time on your right side and bear the sin of the people of Judah. I have assigned 40 days, a day for each year. Turn your face towards the siege of Jerusalem and with bared arm prophesy against it. Very interesting. So what, he, what the people of the southern kingdom of Judah did is they kept worshiping Yahweh. But eventually they got tired of that. And so they, they continued to worship in the temple as they were supposed to, but they started worshiping false gods on the side. And so instead of being open about it like the northern kingdom, they just tried to hide it. And God's like, no, you're not getting away with this. For 40 years you've been worshiping false gods. And now there's a price to pay. And then he tells Ezekiel, I want you to preach against the city that's been besieged with bare arm. Now here's what that means. I want you to preach against them so hard and with such intensity that your sleeve won't stay up. So picture this. Here's the, here's the priest turned prophet laying down in downtown Babylon preaching against this model that he's made so hard and so angrily that his sleeve won't stay up. So there's a lot of arm waving going on here. And the people would have walked by and said, oh wow, that's really strange. He's still talking against Jerusalem. And there's no way God would allow this to happen. No way. They just did not believe that God would turn his back on the holy city, and particularly on the temple. Okay, so if that's not weird enough, the story gets a little more strange. Well, eight gets some encouragement. I will tie you up with ropes so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have finished the days of your siege. Verse nine, take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt, put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself. You are to eat it during the 390 days you lie on your side. Weigh out 20 shekels of food to, each for, uh, to eat each day and eat it at set times. So 20 shekels, I have some bread here, just for fun. Um, and it really feels nasty, but anyway. Um, so he's supposed to make bread, and, he's, and, and so the, the weight measurement was eight ounces. He said, I want you to make eight ounces of food per day, and that's it. The idea that they were going to have to be rationing food in Jerusalem. And so he was to bake bread with stuff you don't normally bake bread with. But basically the idea is God was showing the people, you're going to eat whatever you can find because there's not going to be any food. And he goes on. Also measure out in verse 11, a sixth of a hen of water and drink it at set times. So a hen of water is like a, uh, a half liter. So you're going to be able to drink a half a liter of water every day. Now you get to see pretty quick in 13 months, this is a great weight loss system. Right? So when he was done, he could write a book and say, hey, the lay down in Babylon and lose weight system, it'll work for you. But he, he would have had a miserable time losing weight, and, but eating the same stuff over and over and over again. Eat the food as you would, a loaf of barley bread, bake it in the side of the people using human excrement for fuel. The Lord said in this way, the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations 
where I will drive them. Now it's really getting weird. So this is all based on a passage in Deuteronomy. Um, Ezekiel doesn't like this, okay? But what, what God was saying, so, so human excrement was defiled. It would make you unclean or unholy if you used it in this way. All right, it's a passage in Deuteronomy. It talks about animals that have already been killed. You shouldn't eat them. And, um, and when you go number two, you need to leave the camp and you need to bury it. And so because it's unclean, you find that in Deuteronomy. And so Ezekiel says, oh, wait a minute, God. Verse 14, not so, sovereign Lord, I have never defiled myself. From my youth until now, I have never eaten anything found dead or torn by wild animals. No impure meat has ever entered my mouth. He said, I've never done anything that is impure as far as putting it in my mouth. Please don't make me do this. Right? And so, God in his generosity says, very well, I will let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. <laughs> what a deal. In fairness, that was a common practice. That they would, if they were out on the road, they would use cow dung as fuel for, to, to cook their food. So that was not an uncommon thing. He then said to me, son of man, I'm about to cut off the food supply in Jerusalem. The people will eat rationed food in anxiety and drink rationed water in despair. For food and water will be scarce. They will be appalled at the sight of each other and will waste away because of their sin. All right, so this is the picture of, of what Ezekiel did. And, and so you look at this story and you look at what kind of man would do this. It's the man who had a vision from God that was so powerful and so real. A man who was, God would make more hard-headed than the people that he was speaking to. A man who was told, when I take the message to them, they're not going to listen to me. So I'll go lay down on my side 390 days. That'll show them. But he said yes. And so I look at this story of Ezekiel, and, and gosh, there's so much truth there. That was way easier than I thought. There, there's so much truth there and so many things we could talk about. But there are a couple of things that are so important for us, that are, that are just, just so real and so powerful. And the first one is this, and you've heard me say it many, many times. We live for an audience of one. Period. An audience of one. You see, Ezekiel, I just, I go through the story in my mind and I think all the conversations he would have had with his wife before this started. Right? We know he's married. If you get to chapter 24, uh, his wife dies and she's called the delight of his eyes. He was madly in love with his wife, but she dies and he's not allowed to mourn for her to show the people of Israel something else. But I can imagine those conversations with his wife. Hey, honey, guess what? I'm going to go build this replica of Jerusalem and destroy it. Oh, that sounds like fun. And then I'm going to lie down for 14 months downtown. Would you bring me some food? So I have to cook it over cow dung. So I just, I, that conversation would have, this morning, I mean, yesterday I told my wife I was going to be lying on the floor, and I got an eye roll, you know? And, and it's like, and, and I, I told her, I said, you know, if I was 25, I would have flipped up over on my feet. And she said, please don't do that. The hospitals are full. Please, 
Please don't do that. But just those conversations. But then to think about the Jewish people. As they saw Ezekiel and what he was doing, they would have hated him. How dare you say that God will turn his back on us? We're his chosen people. How dare you say that the holy city is going to be destroyed? There's no way God would ever do that. Ezekiel, you are out of your mind. But he did it anyway. And he did it because he lived for an audience of one. So hear me when I say this. As followers of Jesus, we need to rediscover the principle that we too live for an audience of one. And what does that mean and what does that look like? Well, you go through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said some really hard stuff. Right? He said you're to be salt and light. He said you're to hold marriage in incredibly high esteem. He said you're to be a person of integrity when you interact with people. He said if someone smacks you on one cheek, turn to them the other as well. If someone requires you to go one mile, go with them too. If someone sins against you, then you must forgive. Like, wow, that's amazing stuff. See, I think we can even narrow it down more than that. Paul in Galatians talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Have we ever lived in a time when the world needs to see love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness more than it needs it right now? Have we ever seen a time like this? Oh, we need it this much? Our call is to live for an audience of one, and our, our call is to live out those characteristics and, and to be that kind of person where, where people are drawn to the reality of who Jesus Christ is because they see in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If ever the world needs to see those characteristics, it's today. And God called us to this reality where people are going to look at those characteristics and think, you people are nuts. But we live for an audience of one. I know most of us are not going to be called to go lie downtown in front of a, a model that we make of the city being destroyed. Most of us are not going to be called to be foreign missionaries. Most of us are not going to be called to do these dramatic things that come into our brain, but my goodness, we've all been called to live as if Jesus were our king. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if that's not you, then step back, because there is a, a beautiful part in all of this. And it really goes back to Ezekiel's story. You know what God said? You're going to lie on your side for 390 days and then flip over and be on your right side for 40 days. And he said, I will tie you up. I will bind you in such a way so that you won't be able to turn over. I don't know how you sleep, if you sleep on your back or your stomach or your side, but the idea of not being, a turn, being able to turn over, that's just, ugh. But God said, I will give you what you need 
to pull this off. I will give you everything you need to make this happen. And the people are going to see that everything that's going to happen in Jerusalem is because they turned their back on me. And you're going to deliver that message. They're not going to like it. They're not going to believe it. But it's all truth. Just a decade later, it happened. But God gave Ezekiel everything he needed to pull it off. And here's what I want to tell you about living the fruit of the Spirit in your life. When we choose to follow Jesus, the Spirit of Christ lives inside of us. And the Spirit of Christ gives us what we need to live out his fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He gives us that capacity. He gives us that ability. You see, I think sometimes as, as followers of Jesus, we spend so much time trying to get it right. So much time trying to have those characteristics in our lives that we forget that we can't do it without his help. And he's made it so simple. Chase after me. Make me the priority. Live for me in every way. Follow me and I will do these things through you. And if you dedicate yourself to me, if you, you spend time with me in scripture study and you spend time with me in prayer and focusing on my word and living it out, here's what's going to happen. You are going to find yourself loving in ways you never thought you could. You're going to find yourself joyful even when the world's falling apart. You're going to find peace when it makes absolutely no sense to the world that you should have peace. You're going to be kind even to those who are unkind to you. Because I will give you everything you need to do that. We've been called to a countercultural existence. We've been called to live in such a way that the world just does not even identify with it. But oh my goodness, wouldn't they love to have some joy right now? Wouldn't they love to experience peace? And the beautiful thing is, it's available to them in the same way it's available to us, through the Spirit of Christ in them when they give their lives to the King. Live it out. Make it a priority. Make the King, the audience of one, the one person you live for. It will revolutionize your world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Ezekiel, and I thank you for his faithfulness his willingness to do the crazy things. And Father, we look back on the story now and we see exactly what he was doing and we, we understand with clarity why he had to go through it, but to be him in that moment, to decide, well, will I really do this? I thank you for his faithfulness. And Father, the truth is we need to come to you and confess that we've been distracted by things that don't matter in such a significant way that we've forgotten that we're here to represent and live for you. Father, I pray. I pray that we would reconnect to our one simple assignment to live our lives for you. 
And as we connect to you and as we chase after you, we will become more of who you want us to be. Well, give us that drive. Make us so stubborn to do that, that nothing will get in the way of pursuit of you. Now, Father, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, that has not yet made that decision to follow you, I pray that today would be that day, and I pray that you would help them to say yes to the greatest gift ever given. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, you may be here, you may be watching, and you may have never asked Jesus into your life as your forgiver and leader. I want you to know that he came and died for you. And I want you to know that the frustration and the hurt and the disappointment and, and the despair that you experience, you don't have to live with that. Because Jesus, through his spirit, gives us all the things of the spirit that I mentioned. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So if you want to experience that, it's available to you. But what Jesus asks in return is our lives. He asks that we give ourselves fully and completely to him. You see, he did for us on the cross what we could never do for ourselves, but in return, he wants to be the center of our world. Not just in words, but in reality. He wants to be the center of our world. And so if you're interested in following Jesus, we sing in a minute, invite you to come to the Welcome Center. We can talk about faith and what it means. If you're online, you can text us or email us. We'll follow up with you that way. But don't put off the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus and God has put on your heart that you need to be a part of this community of faith. I invite you, whether you're online or in person, to follow up on that. Uh, you can, again, text or you can meet me when we're done in the Welcome Center. Let's talk about that and what it means and what it looks like. Or maybe today you've realized you've gotten off course. You've realized that you've been pursuing the wrong stuff. You've realized that you've made secondary things primary things. Today, it's time to make the primary thing the primary thing once again. And he will give you what you need to pull that off. You respond as you feel led as we worship and sing together.
Thank you, Murray Hill, for joining us this week online and here. Let's go and show the world joy and bring God's love to them. See you here to worship next Sunday.